0: Welcome to Band Meets Strings, a podcast exploring the string classroom. I'm Patrick Dandria,
1: And I'm Tiffany Oponicelli. And we are both music educators in the California Bay Area. I teach high school string orchestra and symphony orchestra.
0: And I teach middle school band, jazz, and orchestra. We're not experts, but we're here to share and reflect on the challenges, successes, and everything in between in our own classrooms.
1: We'd love to hear from you. If you have any comments, questions, or feedback, feel free to send us an email at bandmeetsstrings at gmail.com. If you're enjoying what you're hearing or if this podcast is helpful to you it would also be really helpful if you would write us a review or give us a rating on apple Podcasts, spotify or anywhere you're listening to podcasts
0: welcome to season two hi tiffany hey pat we are so excited to be back today we are excited to welcome our first guest on the podcast colleen mcdonald and we can't wait to share our conversation with her about how she establishes expectations and procedures with her own students but first Since we're back and we are getting ready for our school year, we're just going to share a quick check-in. It is July 30th today, and as of today, we are, I think I am eight days away from our first teacher report day.
1: I am not ready for you to say that, but same, also eight (laughs) days away. (laughs)
0: <laughs> but, uh, it felt like it flew by, but at the same time, I feel like I got to enjoy so much of the summer. I had a great summer. Um, this summer, usually I travel back to the East coast to see my family, but we went back in May because my younger brother, James got married and this summer just decided to stay here in California. So I was kind of just around the Bay area and had a great time being dad with Noel and enjoying time with my family and my wife. Lots of parks and walks in the garden. And we know all of the playgrounds in our greater area. And I will just give a huge shout out to the Oakland Zoo who filled half of every Friday of my summer. <laughs> Had a couple of visits from some family, got to take Noel to his first Red Sox game. We got to see them play the Oakland A's, two mediocre teams going at it. We're actually going back to see them today play the San Francisco Giants. And I hope that they don't get beaten too bad. <laughs> one of my favorite parts of my summer i play kind of casually in a saxophone quartet with some friends and uh, we got together weekly for the first like month or so and that was so awesome just give me lots of creative artistic juices and just enjoy making some music with some friends so that was really fun in terms of my school prep we talked about what we were planning for our summers i i think i've done a pretty good job of meeting a lot of my goals for those just chipping away at some summer room projects one of my band director passion projects was making sure that all of the plaques were perfectly in line. <laughs> Did you use a level? So, okay. So the full <laughs> story behind this, I was trying to be clear is last year, my room got painted and I was like, perfect. This is the time that I can settle my plaques. Before I got my job, I, I walked in the room and there are lots of plaques around the room, which I'm sure many rooms have. And I remember saying, when I'm in this room, I'm gonna make sure all the plaques are straight and they're all gonna be right. <laughs> and after my first year i was like this is my opportunity so i i bought a laser level and i bought a chalk line and i snapped the chalk line and i had everything i put all the hangers perfectly hung up so they were exactly where i wanted them to be holy moly and what i discovered after putting the plaques up on the wall is that every single year that we bought plaques over the past 20 some odd years the plaques were slightly differently like oriented so the hole for the hanger is different anyway.
1: Oh, that sucks. I'm sorry that happened.
0: It was not good. And, and they were just like swaying back and forth. Things were moving around. And this year, my second attempt, which I'm optimistic about, is I used Velcro. I'm Some Velcro tape on the backside. And I used like two pieces and it's much more malleable. You can just kind of like adjust it. And I really hope that it sticks. So for those of you that are looking at your plaques going, I don't know how to fix this. I recommend Velcro and I'll let you know if they actually stay up on the wall. I bought a new method book. We had a discussion about that earlier last year, and I have never actually used the habits of a successful middle school string musician. And I am really, really excited. Woohoo. Um, I got a class set and actually spent some time over the summer kind of getting into the material. So I'm excited to unroll that. I'm a big fan. Yeah. And this next week, I mean, we, we still have a week left, but I'll probably be at school pretty much all the next week for most of most of those days just to get us ready for liftoff. How about you tiffany
1: i'd love to hear it i'm glad you had a lovely california summer and uh at least you know slightly less humid than if you had gone back to
0: the east coast we so have got that far far less humid than these coasts yes no humidity
1: speaking of humidity though i did travel a little bit this summer i was able to like pretty fully unplug for at least a good bit of late june and early july I felt great about that my husband and i went to japan and taiwan and we got to explore incredible food beautiful scenery uh, we got to go up in uh, a little farther north in japan up to hokkaido and that's a place i'd never been before i was thrilled to get to see all the beauty of, of The country. And we got just to sort of enjoy time living in San Francisco. I live in San Francisco and I don't frequently get to enjoy that fact. So I uh, enjoyed my time also, just downtime here. Also, similarly, got a bunch of stuff done for school and for home and just got to feel a little bit like. Uh, I was a little bit more grounded than probably most of all of last year, and I also recently guest conducted um, the junior orchestra at Hayward La Honda Music Camp. Um, it was such a special experience. It's a camp out in the Santa Cruz Mountains, and the orchestra kids were just so excited to be there. And it's a really special setting where you're teaching in in the Redwoods. so a viola sectional like against the trees, and it was it was really lovely. And they, a fantastic staff also got to got to jam a little bit with them. And like Pat was saying, with his saxophone quartet, it's just nice to to make some like casual music you yes. know lots, lots of different kinds of stuff across
0: genre tons of tons of fun i'm so glad you got to do some travel did you have you worked at la honda before
1: no this was actually my first time at la honda and awesome. it was it was a really special thing i love camp in general i spent a lot of my undergrad uh, working as a camp counselor and, and helping to um, work at a camp for underserved kids in la and it, it was really great to sort of combine that like outdoor thing with what I love to do in my profession and uh, any opportunity to guest conduct is always a treat um I love nerding out about like what repertoire is going to succeed in five days of rehearsal what kind of repertoire um is it going to succeed outdoors versus indoors like and and really thinking about trying your best to cater towards what you think the group will be and I think that's super fun I've had a couple opportunities to do that now
0: and you you get to come in and in a week use like all of your gems And it's so, yes,
1: that's a perfect thing. It's like you get to come in as this like outside guest and then you get to come in and just like be like, wow, here are 10 things that I hope you'll bring back to your ensemble. And it's so, so fun. Uh, Very grateful to Troy Davis for the invitation to go um, be part of this really special, special camp. School prep. Uh, you know what I wrote in my notes. There's just never enough time. I'm pretty sure in the last episode of our previous season, I was like, here's all these things I'm going to do. I did some of them (laughs) did not do a lot of them. And, uh, like Pat was saying, we've got one more week before school starts. And certainly I'm going to be at work every day this week. I was at work most days last week. And it's wild because I think, you know, people get all up in arms about how teachers don't work for these seven, eight weeks of the summer, but like, we definitely we definitely work before it starts. Now, are we supposed to? Probably not. Um, are there teachers who don't? And that's fine. Yes, also probably. But I have definitely worked close to full days for the last week and this upcoming week.
0: People will ask me, like, what are you doing in the summer? And I'm like, well, you know, all that stuff that happens during the school year. It takes more than a teacher workday and a PD day. Uh, Yeah,
1: (laughs) (laughs) and that one teacher workday that is like actually secretly half meetings. Yeah, it takes a little bit
0: more time. Totally, totally. Yeah, it's like, what is the new system and acronym that I need to learn? That's what half that day
1: is. Um, Yes, and I will be doing all of my prep, of course, while playing the 65 safety video um, things that I have to take the quizzes for. But let those play. I have a
0: tab open on my browser right now for my Keenan trainings that I.
1: I would not be offended if you were currently silently playing
0: the videos in the background. <laughs> My bloodborne pathogen training is currently yeah. happening during this recording. <laughs> I, I actually
1: checked to see if they had released stars yet, so I could start playing in the background, but not yet. Um, <laughs> oh. Yeah, I don't know. Somehow, somehow we're at the start again. I wouldn't say I'm like feeling fully refreshed, but I definitely feel better than than I have in some other past years.
0: Well, you have still got a week left. It's okay. We can get a little more refreshment in as we get ready. <laughs> well, we are really excited to share with you our interview with Colleen McDonald. Today, I am so excited to welcome our first guest on the podcast. We are so fortunate to have a dear friend of mine and an inspiring and outstanding educator, Colleen McDonald here today. Welcome Colleen. Hello. We're so happy to have you here. You and I have known each other for many years, but could you take just a few minutes for our listeners to share a little bit about yourself and your background and your teaching experience?
2: Sure, I uh, teach in Massachusetts, in Weston, Massachusetts, which is a suburb right outside of Boston. And I'm entering my 25th year of teaching, which is hard to believe. In my time in Weston, I have taught a little bit of everything. When I met Pat, I was teaching band and orchestra, primarily in the middle school and high school. Uh, I taught some AP music theory and jazz band. And those beginning years, which was about 13 years of my career, I learned a lot from teaching band, even though I'm a violinist. So it stretched the envelope a little bit, taught me some stuff about improvisation and all those fun things that band teachers do that I now pull into my string teaching. And then about like, uh, I don't know, 10, uh, well, no, my son's about to turn 12. So about 12 years ago, an opportunity came up where I could transition into third through eighth grade orchestra. And I decided to do that because it felt a little bit better in terms of evenings out and being a mom. So I transitioned into strings only, which had its pluses and minuses, but it's been really great. And I've, in those years, I've just grown so much as a string teacher, but still pull all my band teaching days from the past and, you know, incorporate it everywhere I can. So yeah, I teach third through eighth grade strings in Weston. I teach a youth orchestra also at the river school, which is a private school a conservatory. And so that kind of is my carrot of the week of doing higher level strings. So I'd say that's more like an upper high school level, high, high level string music. So when I walked away from the high school, I still had that carrot every week to keep the, the higher level orchestra music going. So I have a little bit of everything in the string world right now.
0: In Weston, for people that are unfamiliar with it, will you just talk a little bit, big picture about the town, but more about, I guess, the music program and how that's set up and more specifically the string program?
2: Sure. So Weston, when I applied, I had no idea what type of town it was. It is one of the wealthiest towns on the East Coast, perhaps in the country. And I only say that because I don't ever take for granted the amount of resources we have at our fingertips in Weston. So it's been a really great place to have a career. I feel really supported with resources and with support from parents who are really invested and in their kids kind of excelling at everything. Weston's a small town. so the the school actually, it's even dipped since you've been with us, Pat. so i I think the high school is only about five hundred and fifty students. And it's you know in my time there, it's been as high as eight hundred at the high school, but nothing nothing more than that. So it's a small town. And when I started there i I think I had twenty eight kids in the entire middle school band twenty five in the entire middle school orchestra of sixth seventh, and eighth and now the the program has just really blossomed we We have about well we have a pretty much now i'd say ninety eight percent participation in third grade orchestra wow, so almost every third grade orchestra, and then going into fourth grade, we have uh, probably 90% in band, orchestra, or chorus. So that's when band is introduced. The band teacher and I work very closely together to pivot kids in the right direction, which is a unique situation, I think. Uh (laughs) And then, you know, it carries through. I think we're actually in a music review now, which I just did a lot of work on for certification for a director. So I know these numbers off the back of my hand I think we're at like 70% participation at the high school, which is wow. much higher than any other district in Massachusetts. Yeah. Even though our band might look smaller or our orchestras might look smaller, our school is so small. So, percentage wise, we're very, very high. And that's all really important because it kind of paints a picture for what kind of teaching you have to do. Because we do teach, as Pat remembers all types of kids. Yes, And we really need to teach all types of kids to maintain a program. Mm-hmm. So we try to stay away from too much elitism. We, we do a song and dance. We do a show to keep them involved, but you know, we do pretty good. There's eight of us on staff and the music staff. That's fantastic. Yeah. It's a lean department. I teach about 375 students a week from third to eighth grade across four buildings. So they they get their money's worth out of us in Weston.
1: <laughs> can I ask a little bit about the starting in third grade? It sounds like it's just strings that starts in third grade. Um, can you tell me a little bit about the history of that or how how that came to be? It's a, it's a year earlier than I would say most other places. Is it common?
2: In the East Coast, in New England, for sure. Yeah. do start a year earlier okay. um, for strings, which is a pretty typical model over here, at least. Mm-hmm. In that strings, you're able to play sooner than a band instrument physically. Just air wise, um, and, and we kind of treat it as a readiness year, even for band. Hmm. So i've I've always taught third grade strings in a way that kind of prepares kids for just being an ensemble player, learning to play an instrument. Because obviously, I I mean, I teach 150 third graders some years. I don't want 150 and fourth. <laughs> so it's it's more just a, a training ground. Yeah, and so third grade and then fourth grade band start. Most of the towns around here are similar. Uh, some of them are a fourth, fifth grade start. Yeah,
1: I think that's the model we see most commonly here in California is the fourth grade string, fifth grade, everyone.
2: Yeah, it's it's really interesting in, in Weston because our school structure is strange in that we have a K through three school. Oh. So, and then a four and five school. So actually third grade is offered in a school where the kids are the oldest in the grade, but it just works out. And I started when I was in third grade. That's where I started my violin career in public school. Oh, four grade.
1: <laughs> we love to hear a public school instrumentalist. Can I ask really quickly, you had mentioned also, I don't want to get too far into the weeds here, but you had mentioned that you partner with your band teacher to try to make sure that the choices are are made uh, in a smart way between string and bands. Can you tell us a little bit more about how, how that works? I know our listeners probably struggle with this sometimes.
2: So this is really important. And actually, we've learned a lot since COVID about how important this is. Well, first of all, most importantly, the band teacher and I, Pat knows well, are the best of friends. So Mm -hmm. we work very closely together and I never have felt like my program has to be the best or her program has to be the best. I feel like we run a program in Weston where we want all programs to be strong. And so it is really, really important for the string teacher to kind of get out of their own way and swallow their pride (laughs) And work with the band teacher to make sure kids go in the right direction. You know, I put out very detailed emails to parents in the end of third grade. And the kids love third grade strings. I mean, it's I am I have limited years probably left in me of being able to handle the monotony of it. However, (laughs) it's probably my strongest thing of teaching. I mean, the kids love it. So it sometimes comes as a shock at the end of third grade when then I have to tell parents, you know, surprise, they're going to switch instruments now. You know, this is the right time to do it. And so I've, I've crafted over the years, very delicate emails to the whole crew. I actually address it at the concert, um, the final spring concert in third grade. I address the whole crowd. So, that they hear continuously from me that this is okay and that we want kids to do the right thing for them. I really sell it as, you know, I I will say at a concert, you know, the band teacher at field school is one of my best friends and she's a flute player and I'm a string player. And one of us is not better than the other. We're the best of friends, but we pick the right instruments for ourselves. And ultimately, that is what's gonna make you successful. There's a personality, there's a gut instinct, there's a fit physically, and it's mm-hmm. really important to get to the base of that so that you can succeed long-term through 12th grade and not you know, ultimately drop. So then I send an email um, after I have that concert and we send out the signups. And in that email, I always have, I instruct parents on how to help their child best make this decision. And I always have them ask their students or the children three questions. And I said, if your child can answer a resounding yes to all three questions, then strings is absolutely a possibility for their future. But if there is a no, then it simply means it might not be the best fit and there might be a better fit out there. And so I always list the questions and I go through it with every class and then their parents go through it with them for the most part. And those questions are, if anyone's interested, Number one, do you love your instrument? And if the answer is yes, they can move on to number two. If the answer is no, please don't move on to number two. I don't want kids playing their instrument unless they love it moving into fourth grade. I make a big deal out of that. Number two is, do they practice? Does the instrument come out at home? And I'm pretty realistic with parents when we get to this question that like not every kid loves to practice, let's be real. But if it never comes out at home, then that's not a good sign. Because if they did like their instrument, then they would want to show it off or they would not resist their parents totally all the time. And then question number three is, does everything seem to be getting easier for you? Does the fit feel right? Is the music reading getting more natural? And if all of these questions are yes, then you're on the right path for strings. But if any of them are no, then another instrument might be right. We talk about, you know, some kids just need a second year of music reading beginning and that reinforcement, the benefit of starting in band is then they start back over. And that reinforcement of one year is crucial. The fit is obvious for music teachers, but it's not always obvious for for parents. And then we take it from there. Thank you so much for sharing on that.
0: I think that was something that in working in Weston, it feels very different, probably in California as a as a whole, just because the schools are so much larger and Weston is even a small town, even in Massachusetts. But it did feel like that shared mission piece of we're not just working at like school sites here. We're really all working toward this K through 12 kind of machine and that delicate ecosystem, like you talked about, of Too much for me is not a good thing. Too little for you is not like we all want to kind of have everybody be where where we're at so that all of our programs kind of meet the same needs. I was uh, thinking before we started recording today, I was going to say a joke that the reason I left Weston was I had to compete with Colleen McDonald, (laughs) 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 which is what our boss would occasionally say to us in a good way. No, Colleen was and it sounds like you you are still not surprisingly just an amazing colleague of understanding that you're a part of the big machine of the music program and not just trying to, like, build this monster program, which you've also done, which is crazy.
2: Yeah, I mean, it doesn't go without a lot of pride swallowing at times, you know, I think especially my years as a band teacher, when the whole drive of a band teacher is to have big numbers, you know. So I would be angry if I had less than 70 in sixth grade band. And and so when I transitioned into orchestra, I had to really readjust.
1: But I, I love what you're saying, Colleen, just about this idea that like it's not about you. It's about the kids. It's about the program as a whole. And a lot of that comes with swallowing pride. It's so hard when you're so individually invested in your
0: program. I think it's important for folks to hear that. Yeah. Well, I want to share, it was fun for me to reminisce, how I got to meet you Tiffany, did you, when you were doing your undergrad, did you have to do like observe, not student teaching, but observations where you just like go into school? Yeah, definitely. So, so we had to do this and it was always on Friday mornings and we'd have to meet at like, you know, cause school starts at school hours. And then when you're in college, that's different. So you'd have to meet at like 7am, which seemed like four in the yep. morning when you're <laughs> like 20. And then we all piled into a van and we just go out to these, you know, city or suburb schools. And we'd. to see a variety of those and a lot of the times you're just sitting there like half awake after your thursday night taking what you can from these just sort of seeing like what is it like in different classrooms but i very much remember going to weston for a lot of reasons but especially because colleen's classroom just felt alive in a different way i remember very vividly where I sat in your room when I was 19 or 20 <laughs> watching your classes and it just feeling different than the other rooms that I was in and your energy feeling different. I remember the, like there was a lot of buzz in the van on the way back just because it felt like, oh, we just saw something that was really cool. And I think that admiration just carried into our work together. The vibe of Colleen's room is what I want my room to feel like. It is engaging and it's still demanding. Like You really have to be on it. But it's just super fun it doesn't feel like work for the kids and that can look a lot of ways for different teachers but i was just lucky to work with you for many many years in weston we worked together for seven years plus some time student teaching and we got to kind of like work on either sides of the program as our jobs evolves and got to do like the band orchestra side of the thing which is cool that partnership you shared and got to observe you at the rivers school doing your youth orchestra work multiple times this past year as i was picking a wrap and looking through reference recordings of things. Colleen's Rivers Orchestra recordings came up. And I was saying to Colleen, when we started this project last year, one of my first thoughts was it would be fun for us to eventually have guests. You were one of the first people that came to mind. So we're just so happy to have you here.
2: Thank you yeah. so much. It's nice to hear. <laughs> it feels like so long now.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, let's set the stage for today's conversation. As Tiffany and I are preparing to start our school year in just a little over a week or so. Oof. Scary to say that out loud. We're gonna focus our conversation today around how we set up expectations and procedures, particularly at the beginning of the year. All the behaviors that we expect of our students are teachable, and if we set up and reinforce those effectively, it can really transform the potential efficiency and culture of the class for the entire year. However, this requires intentional and detailed planning in addition to the regular and varied reinforcement, all while building an energy of positivity and excitement in the ensemble. Not an easy thing to do, and as a young teacher, I didn't even realize this was something i had to consider in my curricular planning that the kids had to be taught how to just be in the room and even now as a seasoned educator i'm still learning lots of tips and tricks on how to better establish these kinds of systems for procedures and long-term success so today we're so lucky to have colleen here to share how she sets up some of her student expectations Colleen, you teach third through eighth grade strings in four different school sites i imagine from what i've seen that your procedures look a little bit different in all those levels and sites but I've been fortunate to witness you do like the impossible, which is to lead these third grade rehearsals um, (laughs) and and classes that's with these young students. And I think it is just a masterclass and how you set up those procedures with your kids. So I thought it'd be good to talk specifically about your third grade program. Could you share a little bit more about that program in terms of some of the numbers of what are you seeing within a small group class as well as the big groups and then any of the challenges that you're facing with kids at those young ages?
2: Sure. So I think the most important thing to understand is that I am the teacher from third through eighth grade. So the routines I set up in third grade are highly regimented and strict in a fun setting. But like you said, as I transition through the grades, I become a lot more relaxed. So by the time kids have me for eighth grade orchestra, it's we're not chanting. <laughs> we're not doing any of these regimented things. It's a much more relaxed setting. And I've already established and built a level of trust with them in the six years I've taught them that they know my expectations. So that's a, that's a really, really cool aspect of it's my favorite part of the job, actually, that I get to see these kids grow up. But third grade is where it all kind of starts. And I've grown a lot in my many years of doing this. And I've figured out, number one, that what kids need most is structure. They thrive in structure. Our most challenging kids do really, really well in string orchestra, which is mind-boggling to some of the academic teachers I teach with because they cannot understand how these students who are quite literally throwing chairs in classrooms perform so well in a setting that is highly academic and requires so much of them. But they do. and I and I keep going back to it. I talk to academic teachers about this all the time. Kids thrive on structure. So the way my third grade is set up, almost every child in our town plays a string instrument. So it's usually about ninety seven to ninety nine percent participation rate. So as you can imagine, I am teaching all walks of the grade. It seems general music like in a sense as a result. And so they have a half hour pullout during the school day where that whole class comes down mixed instrumentation to me. And that's usually 20 to 22 kids in the small class. And then they have a 50 minute after school rehearsal that is required for the whole group at that school. So that's usually about 70, sometimes upwards of 80. It depends on the class sizes those years. So we start about three weeks into the school year and the in-school class is pretty regimented but the after-school rehearsal is where the magic happens in terms of setting those routines. we don't usually start that till mid-October because I need them at least being able to hold an instrument by that point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and so, so let's talk small classes first. So small classes, like little things I've learned along the way, meeting in class outside the door. And having a little class meeting and setting the standard for them before we walk in the room is huge. Uh, beginning of my career, they used to just all walk in and then getting them to quiet down and shush and all of that. And in third grade, I do not actually have a seating chart for the smaller groups unless I need to. But I have a very strict seating chart in the large group. So kids come in after our brief meeting in the hall, they know to go and grab their instrument out of the cubbies and go into the room and get into what I teach them is ready position and ready position. This is where we get chant like and militaristic in my teaching, but they love it. Ready position is, you know, instruments down to the side, handles on the same side, right side of the seat, handles facing the ceiling, feet flat on the floor, sitting forward and, you know, in the beginning of the year, we do a lot more chants to kind of just get this going. So they'll come in, I'll have them seated. Obviously the beginning of the year, I'm having to do a little bit of attendance because I don't know them and I'm learning their names, like 150 names in a couple weeks. So we do, we go through that routine and then we'll start with the chants. And I teach them week one, the ready position chant, which then turns into the playing position chant, which, you know, rest position chant, which turned into the playing position chant. And it feels like a broken record to me, but to them, they get so exciting. So I will, I will give you all the treat of my chant if you would like, if that's helpful. Yes, please. It's, yes, it's so basic, it's almost embarrassing, but the kids just love it. I mean, some of my eighth graders will laugh and do it to me sometimes. So, so ready position is simply, I everything I say they repeat. So I say, you know. Um, feet flat and then they stomp their feet and they go feet flat and I say back straight and I go back straight sloppy backs and they bend their their backs forward and get all goofy and go sloppy backs I'll say and I back straight back straight and then I say ready position and they point at their case to show me their handles facing the ceiling and then I know we're ready to start and then that chant quickly transitions into rest position of course I have to teach them in the first weeks How to take their instrument out carefully with their case flat on the floor and assemble their shoulder rest and all that mumbo jumbo. Our string teachers just love teaching. (laughs) And then we, you know, I show them where to put the instrument, how to do a rest position, and we transition that into instead of ready position, we say a rest position and rest position. They get all excited. And then, you know, week two, I'm teaching them the playing position numbers. So we get into ready, we do all the chants, ready, and then we do rest. And then we do playing position. I teach them five steps. Everyone does it differently. I do one step for bass, three steps for cello, five steps for violin. I know this is audio and no one can see me, so I'll spare you the visual. But you know, basically, I teach them to hold the instrument on the bow of the instrument, their left hand, and the violin goes straight out for one, out to the left for two, flip for three, four on the shoulder, five down. And so... Once we're in rest position, I'll say, are we ready? And they say, we're ready. And then we go one, two, three, four, five. And they all like scream it while they do it. And I say, (laughs) playing position and they say it, you know? (laughs) And so it's it's obnoxious, (laughs) but they soak it up. It is literally like the army of McDonald's in third grade. And any given moment you walk by a third grade rehearsal, you hear kids chanting to me. Um, all the positions, ready position, rest position, playing position, you know, they don't move until my magic word, which is go, which is so stupid and basic. I should have something more exciting. No, it's <laughs> so important. <Yeah. laughs>
1: I love that.
2: But we play games with it, right? I'll, I'll start to say it and uh, 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 and then they get excited. And so it's all just building that, you know, and kids, parents come up to me all the time and they'll say, my kid is chanting in their room. (laughs) Great. Um, But they they hold their instruments really well as a, as a result. So that kind of uh, sets the stage in terms of, you know, structure Uh, for the 75 kids after school, I have them in straight rows. They all have stand partners. They, every, I luckily have a half hour. I'm not sure a half hour is enough for this, but I have a half hour before after school rehearsal to set up 75 chairs and put name cards on every seat. So the kids come in and they know where their seats are because of the name cards. I usually change seats every concert. And again, 75 kids come in, they trickle in, as you can imagine, from after school, all the classes release at different times. So they all get in ready position. No one takes their instrument out. They get their stand ready. And not until I get them started. Again, annoying. It's starting to drive me crazy. I start to hate my name, but I'll do the eyes on Mrs. McDonald. And they all repeat it. Yes. And it, where I've changed over the years is now I change my tone intonation for every time. Eyes so, on Mrs. McDonald. And they'll do it. You know, So they're always echoing me. And if they're silly, I stop and I make them do it again and you know they don't move until my magic word and on my magic word they have to get into rest position and i time and i see who which row is first and then the first row gets the stickers you know and then you know we get into playing position and we chant that together and obviously some of these chants die throughout the year because they are certainly do not need to be doing chants in even january of third grade but for the whole first semester it's Chant City. Uh, and then I have to tune all of them, which is a challenge. So I, we are really lucky in Weston to, uh, well, we require smart music of our students, uh, which is a technology program online, which I'm sure most of our listeners know what smart music is, whether you use it or not. And we use it pretty heavily in Weston. So I run tracks from Smart Music, or I have play-along tracks from Essential Elements of like ten songs. So in October, November, December warm up, where it's maybe just the open strings, and the Essential Elements tracks play twice. So I'll say, "Okay, everyone, open up to page two, and you're plucking only," and they will. Fuck while we zoom around the room and tune. So there's no downtime. There's never downtime. Even in my small classes, when they come in, I don't do play-along tracks, but I'll do one song. So say we're working on two's a team that day, two's a team. We'll just play over on loop. I'll loop it over and over and over again. And they keep playing it. And I'll zoom around, tune them the 20 kids quickly, and then we're ready to start. And I always make a point of how many of you, you know, didn't sound great. The first time. How many of you sounded better by the end? Okay, that's practiced. Yay! You know, so it's just it's that it's those routines, not giving them downtime to fool around. They're always active. Yeah, that's kind of I think that's what you asked is that that's our some of my routines in third grade.
1: Colleen, that's an absolute masterclass. I am blown away. I think like you've named so many important tenets of string teaching from the very beginning and especially at the young age, but all the way through high school, honestly, which is that idea of like strict, but fun. Like we're setting these rules because the kids crave this routine. And especially some of our kids who are most challenged in school settings, like really do crave that routine. And I love all of your examples of chance. Like it sounds like it it is so effective at getting kids to feel like they're part of something, getting kids to feel like they get to be part of, of, of a team, you know, and oftentimes the same kids, they're craving that, that team feeling, that family feeling. I get to be part of something. The chanting at home is just the sweetest to know that they take that home as well. But also just uh, <laughs> there's no chance for them to do something different. I think that is always my newest or like my most important advice for any new teachers. It's just like the more time you give them to goof off, that's, that's where it's going to become a challenge. But they're always doing something. I love your example of how you can tune 70 instruments while also keeping everyone engaged. It's the trick too. I think any large ensemble rehearsal, if you're working with cellos, you've got to give something for the upper strings to do. Et cetera, et cetera. what an absolute masterclass in how
0: uh we can be efficient in the room i also love that you first of all i'm just like loving i mean i know that for you it has been over two decades of these chants in one format or another but you, the energy still like i could still i'm still getting giddy hearing you say that because i'm like i'm gonna put my feet flat um and i remember what your kids look like and they look They look right, Uh, and they look the same, and um, but it doesn't. It's not because they're getting beaten into a pulp about it. Like I think the kids really strive for that because they get really excited about it, and so much. Like you were saying, the beginning of the year, there's just so much onboarding before you get to anything that resembles like music making on a string instrument, and through all of that you're setting these expectations of what is your level of engagement look like? And the kids want to, they want to be excellent and they want to look like the people to their left and right. And that the like energy of this group, we're doing this thing together, even if we're not making a sound right now on our instruments is yeah, that's just really exciting for a young kid to do.
2: I think it's important. Like Pat understands. Cause he taught with me. I don't know the school system you're like in California, but I gather it's much larger than ours. And so it's probably a different vibe, but Because I teach all of them and because it has that, it's not a general music vibe, but because I teach the whole population, I am very well aware. I am teaching non-string players. I am teaching kids that really don't have any business playing string instruments past a year, right? And so I care as much about them looking the part in a concert as anyone else. And these chants allow them to at least physically look the so that by the time we're playing songs, if we're playing Jingle Bells in December, plucking, and their third fingers down instead of their second finger, no one's going to know. But if their instrument is up and they have followed all these sequences into position, then they look like part of a team. And some of these kids aren't part of any teams. They don't look like anyone else anywhere else hmm. so that you know in third grade that's that's kind of what gets me going because in fourth grade they've selected me and then I get to teach all the kids that want to play strings and how lovely is that that's when my job becomes easier but in third grade it, you know you have to think about those kids and give them a a path to at least look like part of a team yeah And so
1: much of what you're teaching is the, is the ensemble skills, right? Which they will take with them to band, which they will take with them all the way through high school. And that, like that, I love the tone that you're setting right from the beginning. I think you mentioned this also, but just that you get a little bit less strict over time or that the chants are really for the beginning. I love this idea of like tone setting at the beginning. And then that, once we all learn to do it together, that's when we get to have this other fun and we get to like lean back and see other sides of Mrs. McDonald too. Yeah. And
2: as even in third grade, as the year goes on, like I'll relax some aspect of it, you know? So for say five weeks, we're going, you know, right, you know, back straight, feet flat, doing the whole thing for uh ready position. And then my week five, I'm just mm-hmm. saying ready position and they just do it. And then I say, okay, I'm going to see who, who can get into rest position fast. And I ready a rest position and they do it without going through the, every single step and then playing position. I might continue doing the feet flat back straight for a while until everyone's looking really good and then it's playing position and then eventually it just goes away uh what never goes away is eyes on mrs mcdonald that's why i start to hate my name but <laughs> <laughs> i love that you change the pitch though you got to keep it interesting
0: <laughs> yeah, you should really mess with some like, atonal, like yeah. skips and just, <laughs> some truer like yeah some true ear training like just try tones all the way through yeah. entertain myself <laughs> do you ever get kids do you get a pushback from like The kids want to engage with their instruments as quickly as they can. And you're very structured about, you're going to put your instrument in front of you. And then you're going to, I used to say this to my kids, you're going to do the hardest thing in the world, which is you're going to have an instrument and you're not going to play it. you get pushback from the kids or from families?
2: Obviously you have some kids that are super wiry and they just want, you know, or you have, or you have the superstars who already play. Oh, that's what I call them, by the way, the superstars. I always have about 10 of them. Strings, we get those kids that have been playing since they were three. And so I make a big deal out of them. Those are my favorite kids to lean into to help. And so sometimes they'll go around the room and be position police and help people out. But they'll also right from day one of orchestra rehearsal, I'll get them up on the stage with me and they will lead the group. So they'll lead the group in songs. They'll lead the group in position chants. They'll lead because if I don't keep those kids engaged, I lose them and I need them. So those are the two ends of the spectrum that would would tend to play, right? Like the doodlers. So I very, very rarely, because I put them on such a pedestal, I very rarely get pushed back from my superstars because they're just so excited to have this role. And actually that's probably the biggest complaint I hear from my string colleagues is how do you keep the superstars engaged because they're just jerks? They can be, they can, this is too easy for me. I very rarely get that because I just, I spoon I spoon feed their egos right from the beginning and I give them a role. Um, So that's one. And then two, the, you know, the nudgy kids, I'm just sharp and quick and I don't sit on it. That's what's changed a lot in my career is that in the beginning of my career, when a kid drove me crazy and wouldn't follow the routine, I would tend to sit on it for too long and either publicly discipline them or just sit. And And now it's, you know, Pat's that's unexpected. Stop, please. And move on. Or no sound, you know, no, I, you know, I expect more or anything just really quick and sharp language that's firm. And then I move right away from it. And I mean, these kids, you know, I'm sure there's some that don't that, that don't love it, but no one quits. They don't quit. They all continue Um, And I just think, I think it's a combination, even for some of those kids that it's really maybe not their thing. Their parents recognize how important it is because they see the benefits at these concerts. We have all school concerts. So every parent in that school sees third grade orchestra. And it's really, it's mind blowing what this large group of kids can do. So parents eat it up if their kids don't. And so I don't, I mean, obviously there's no magic. We all have students that don't, But I think the thing I've learned the most is just to move on quickly. And, you know, that you occasionally have your really extreme child you have to ignore. But usually that there's some there's some strategies in place with academic teachers. So that's another magical point. I will say that I'm lucky in Weston, but I also work at in Weston is that it's a small enough district. I know every single teacher, every academic teacher. I eat lunch with them. I know them. They're all my Facebook friends. I know them personally. I hang out with them outside of school. And I cannot tell you how many of my string peers have no idea who the academic teachers are in the building. And to me, that's, that's it's a tragedy because if you are teaching an hour and a half, even a week, and you don't have a connection with these teachers and know who to ask about it, you're just, it's, it's a lost, that's a lost benefit right there. I, it's the, the best thing I have. Again, it comes back to that community. We're all in it together. And some of these kids, you know, these teachers will, they'll love it. I see different perspectives of their kids than they do. And it's fun. It's good collaboration to work together. So the academic teachers are another group of people. I think music teachers have to be better about getting to know.
0: Yeah. I'm sure you get like little insights while you're sharing, you know, it's what teachers do is they talk about their kids and their administrators in the staff room. (laughs) And you get kind of a little bit of like, is what I'm seeing what you're seeing? And is this me? I love that so much of what you're talking about with both the instruction, but also the redirection is. Fewer words. Just be very efficient with your words, and then move on. And most kids, they want to feel part of the thing. So if they feel like they're
1: if the train's leaving, they want to hop they, back right, on. Like yeah,
0: the, we're, we've gone. Like it's kind of hard for them to really have an opportunity to to make much more of it. That's awesome. Mm-hmm.
1: I appreciate that example, Colleen, of um, that you eat lunch with with these other teachers. I think often with these kinds of pull-out music, fourth, fifth grade lessons, uh, it can feel almost contentious. Like sometimes the music teacher feels like I'm just babysitting the kids when the teacher, so the teacher can have their prep. I think it, it it is very infrequently, I feel like a partnership. So I appreciate that example of it. And I think it also, it speaks to the legacy you've built in your district over time. It sounds like you've really become an establishment. They get you through third through eighth grade. That's, that's a long time.
0: <laughs> you are definitely an establishment in the Western <laughs> public schools calling, whether you want to be or not.
2: Some guys that like to go under the radar, but you know, <laughs>
0: <laughs> can I ask some follow-up questions that are a little in the weeds, but that's kind of what we're doing here about yep. like in those small, you talked about in your, your big group lessons, the kids are walking into generally a lot are using kind of like the multi-purpose roomy like capatory
2: Yep, capitorium yeah
0: so so that's a big space that you're getting to preset for the kids but for those small group lessons i'm a little bit familiar with the spaces that you're teaching they're not massive for the number of kids that you have in there do you preset those chairs and stand are the kids engaging with any of that stuff and then no. the other question i have is with their instruments you mentioned they put them all in cubbies Do you have a system? Like, do the kids have an assigned cubby? Do you put them in and out? They kind of just figure it out because it's a small enough space.
2: Yeah. I mean, again, this is where I go back to. I'm very lucky. Um, The fact that I have a room that's mine is huge. Most string teachers don't have a room. They're teaching in a hallway. They're pre-setting stands. The kids, the school, my own children go to, they're setting up wire stands right before class. It's a multi-purpose room. I don't have to deal with any of that. So, They have cubbies. There's more than enough cubbies for everyone. The only thing I I do not dictate where they put them. I just make sure their name tags are out and everyone has their name on their name tag and that their name tags are facing out. Such a silly thing, saves so much time when there are you a hundred cases that look like theirs. And then they, cause they often are dropping those instruments off in the morning when I'm not even there. So I have to do have to train them where to put them and how to put them. Then they grab them and come in. The room is set up with chairs and stands ready to go. Smartboard. Every room is equipped with a smart board and speakers. And those are things, again, not everybody has. I've had student teachers starting jobs in areas that aren't as supportive as Weston. They don't have smart boards. And my number one thing is I don't care what you do. Find a way to have a Bluetooth speaker with you. Because the most important thing to make your classes uh work is by having some sort of track going on while you are tuning or working with kids. And if you don't, that is where I always see mayhem happening. The tuning and the opening, the opening, everyone get your instruments out. And it's the woo-ha-ha of people, you know, trying to pull things together. And then the tuning, and people are fooling around and the track playing is essential at this age. I, I, I could not do my job without it. So if you don't have the, you know, the amazing facilities I have, you can at least get yourself a Bluetooth speaker. And mm-hmm. all of these method books have playing tracks. You can just make a list and play a set of songs at the start of every class. It's huge. So I don't have to do too much setup in terms of my small class. You know, I have lots of fun posters around the room, but it's not, there's nothing flashy about it. It's just a small space, but it's
0: mine. So that's huge. Do your kids bring their own method books and do they like take those out and set them up? And how do they know? I, again, these yep. are one of those things where it's like turn to page four seems like a simple task until you kids don't know to turn to page four and then it becomes this two minute experience. So
2: we use essential elements and at the start, oh, so so I guess I should say, I'm, I won't take anything for granted. I start every day. In a say I do one school, four classes in a row, I write the homework on the left wall so they can write it in their book. So when they come into the class and they sit down and get in ready position, they're writing down their assignment for the week and on their, you know, most method books have an assignment page. And so they write it down. And then I also write a warm-up page or it's on the smart board ready to go. So they know to open it up. Um, so by the time I mean that takes a minute Mm -hmm. for kids to file into a room, sit down, and then they start writing. And then, you know, I give them my set of instructions, what we're going to start with, you know, okay, today we're doing choose a team. When I give you the go, everyone's going to take their instruments out and get into rest position. And then we do that. And then I say, okay, I'm going to press play and I'm going to zoom around the room. You play choose a team over and over again. And they do it. It's just, it's it's like, it walks them in. They hear that four beat click from smart music. And it's like, it's like a trance. So it works. There's no distractions and they just do it. So they have it. I will say one thing, this, is, this might be bending off a little bit, but since you asked how they know which page to go to, I was really honed in on the homework for a long time, making sure it was written up. But now I do orchestra karate, which has transformed the way I get kids to practice and how I even worry about them knowing what page we're on. Uh, so that's changed it a little bit, but at least at least for the kids that don't get into it, they can write down the assignment for the week.
0: Yeah, I'm assuming like the kids will know kind of where their various belt levels are going to be. So they kind of know I'm going to work towards my yellow belt. Exactly. We're going to talk a little bit about reinforcement. But some things that I'm hearing you continually refer to is this intrinsic internal motivation that comes from a collective energy that you're putting out to the kids, but the kids are just feeling from the get go. I want to be with this. I want to be on this train, not in a punitive way, but like, I'm excited to do the thing. And all of that is setting really high level expectations. I mean, you're not just running around a room with a bunch of kids and saying, have a bunch of fun. Like you're very, very structured and regimented, but to a kid that probably doesn't feel that way because it just feels like we're a part of a really cool team right now, and I can't wait for next time.
2: I will. You said the word reinforcement, which obviously the and the structure and the chanting and all of that. I forgot one of my favorite tools. I I can't believe I forgot about it, but I still have graduating seniors that have these in their cases that they have not touched since third grade. I give out golden pencils at the end of third grade orchestra rehearsal, and they're magic. So I I do two a rehearsal. And I actually get them printed from like Oriental trading posts. They're gold pencils and they say orchestra golden pencil on them. And at the end of third grade rehearsal, I make a huge deal out of the students who receive them and the kids. So they they do the whole cleanup routine at the end of rehearsal and then they have to sit on the floor in the spot that they were at and everyone waits and it is just so fun and we make a big deal out of the golden pencil. So, and I make a big deal out of, you never know what I'm looking for. Some weeks I'm looking for good citizenship and like extra help cleaning up. Some weeks I'm looking for good bow hold. Some weeks I'm looking for good note reading or whatever. I just pull it out of nowhere and we go through and, you know, we'll say, yeah, and the golden pencil goes to pat dandrea and then they come up and the whole room explodes It <sighs> starts clapping and it is so i mean kids just love these golden pencils so i do that in third and then i do it in fourth and i usually only give one out at the end of in fourth and then i then i stop now, all those incentives start to like dwindle right but it's huge it's a it's a staple of my program <laughs> totally i love it <laughs> What a way also to be
1: able to highlight any underdog students for any for anything that you've noticed, or like a kid who isn't the top player but does all these fantastic things for their peers. Like that's my favorite thing to do. I love it.
2: Now the the trick is you can't if you have us you have to you have to gauge it. If you have 70 kids in an orchestra. I don't always give them to everybody, but you have to have at least like 20 that don't get it if you don't give it to everybody. But on the years you're getting close, then you have to start, Then you can't leave it to like only 10 kids that don't get it. So then you really have to stretch for some kids, but you can always help them.
0: (laughs) Well, Tiffany, I know we've been chatting for a while here. Do you want to maybe blow this out a little bit to middle school, high school? For you, you're obviously teaching all the way through middle school. In my time teaching
1: middle school, I think um, I've been really grateful for the procedures that my fourth and fifth grade string teachers had started so that when they came into sixth grade, same thing, I would meet them outside. We'd have a team meeting on like, hey, here's what we're gonna expect when we come inside. And then when we come inside, we have this many minutes to do this thing. Big fan of the timer on the smart board. Big fan of like making sure we know by this time, this is when we're gonna be in what our ready position is. Um, and then setting lots of expectations and, and naming all of the things. Like you might think they understand where their backpack goes from their chair, but you have to actually show them. We're gonna celebrate all these things. I think by the time I was seeing them in sixth grade, and it changes from sixth through eighth, But it is really because we had set those expectations at the beginning. And the more you can set, especially as we're going into the beginning of school years, the more you can set at the beginning, it is so much easier to ease up on it than it is to try to add in more rules, especially once they do anything, once that feels like it's normal already. And then, so I think I just want to name that. Colleen did such an amazing job of of highlighting that. For high school, things are totally different. We have a 10-minute passing period, so we're not meeting outside. Kids are coming in and we're, we're having one-on-one conversation. It's totally different. My only like tricks I can think of is that I I love a name card. We do name cards for the first few weeks of school or anytime seating changes. When we do the name card, my trick for orchestra is really just that I put the name on the front so I can see it real big. And the name is also on the back so that kids don't have to walk around to like figure out which one is theirs. I love a front and back name card. That was all.
2: the only thing I would add with that is that you see, yeah, it's funny. Cause you're speaking to, so you must start in sixth grade. Uh, yeah. I student? taught six
1: through 12 for, for quite some time.
2: So it's funny. Cause I sometimes, you know, I, I, actually, my heart started to race a little when you said, what are your things in place with middle school? Because the truth is I don't have a ton in place in middle school. And, and I, I have a new band colleague at the middle school who's fantastic. And she, does all these things that you say, right? And sometimes I really beat myself up, and I think I'm, I'm, ugh, I'm not doing enough in middle school. I'm not geeky enough. I don't have the timer. I don't have. She always has a, an agenda with all the measure numbers she's going to do on the board when the band kids come in. But I think it's funny when you said that a light bulb went off in my head a little bit of like giving myself a break. Also, I think part of it is because she starts them in sixth grade, so she is starting her own regiment mm-hmm. in sixth grade, and that is for me, by the time they're in sixth grade, it's just so different. I've had them since 3rd so They're like my little family. Right. So when they come into me in sixth grade, I'm like mama bear in a sea of teachers. They don't know. Yeah. And, and there's, I mean, if there's any kids that can't follow my expectations, I can deal with them one-on-one at that point, because they have, they've, they've grown up with me. Mm-hmm. So my middle school is what you probably experience in high school, right? Because I don't have to set those standards. Yep. Yeah, that's the exact same thing. So actually it was really refreshing to hear you say that because I will be honest. I, I, I get a little nervous when I walk into the band room at the middle school and see this hotshot, young, new band teacher with the timer and all the regiment, And I'm like, why? I don't, I don't want to do that. That's useless for me at this point. But because you have a system that works for you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's an important thing to remember. When I did teach sixth through 12th grade band and orchestra, I do felt feel like I had a different tone with my sixth and seventh and eighth graders because they were like coming to me new. And I was, I'm the new, you know, I'm the new gig in town. And I, you had to set that standard, but yeah, it's very unique, I think, depending on what span of years you teach.
1: But I love that you're naming that special thing of um, when they come into a new school, everything is new for them and you get to be the one constant. I think that is so, so special. I taught six through 12 for, for 11 years and it was really special just to get to see that um, like when they are freshmen, they are freaked out and then they come into my room and you see them instantly re- like relax a little bit because they've had me for three years. They know what to expect. It's It's really
0: special. It is. It is. And I like that you're you're just naming that this is gonna look different for every teacher. And depending on your program, you have a colleague who's teaching the same grade level in the same room as you, and you're gonna look drastically different for all of the reasons that you said.
2: And being
1: authentic to what feels right to you is is such a key here. Kids can smell the the fakeness from far away. (laughs) Yes.
0: I think something I'm also just hearing in so much of what you're talking about is just when you're intentional about all of these points from the beginning. The impact is really massive. If you're not thinking about how your kids are walking in, if you're not thinking about what are the steps they need to get to get to the place before you start their instruction, if there's not some expectation for you about timing, my kids know that three minutes after the bell rings, I'm going to take attendance. And if they have all their stuff, they're here. And if they don't, they're tardy. I I have a colleague who does this and I actually... I had a sub uh, come in, a retired director who came to sub for me. And when I came in the next day, the kids did it again. But all the kids, as soon as he stood on the podium, stood up and they were totally silent. And like, initially the vibe of that to me was very much like, I don't know, this is, doesn't feel right for me, but I'll say the kids did it a couple of times because they loved doing it. And every time they did it, they were immediately silent and they immediately had eye contact. And if I said sit down, I could just start teaching. There wasn't any transition point. So I don't. I'm, I'm thinking about doing that this year. Something else I I throw out, which I definitely didn't do when I was in Weston, but I do, depending on the class, is some teachers let their kids take their instruments out. I'm I'm talking more here at an older level, but some kids will let their their kids are able to take their instruments out on their own and they can start noodling about
1: oh we do that for sure yeah i i but if i taught third grade i probably wouldn't
0: <laughs> no and i teach in my string classes i d- do actually let them take their instruments out and they can begin noodling around in, in sixth grade they can only play pizzicato up until a certain point for a lot of reasons but even the kids that know how to play with the bow i just i only let them play pits until we start instruction but in band Nobody makes a sound on their instrument until three minutes after the bell, I take my attendance. Then I say, take a minute on your own. And they have a minute because that's what works for me in my space. It's not going to be something for everybody. But that, that is something that, again, if you're not thinking about, like, why does it feel a little bit chaotic at the beginning? Maybe there's something you could do about that.
1: But I think that also it depends on setting those expectations, right? Like my high school students, they've got a ten minute passing period. The expectation is that they are unpacking themselves and that they are getting warmed up. But there are rules about warm up. Like here are things you can play. You can play your scales. You can look at the book. You can look at what we're gonna do. You can practice those orchestral passages. I don't want to hear your Bach cello suite because that's not warming up. That's showing off and being annoying. Um, so like there are expectations at every age um, for for what warming up actually looks like or what the beginning of class looks like.
0: I do love the cellos who are just like, hey, have you tried this one?
1: If I hear another Mendelssohn Violin Concerto during
0: warm-up, I'm going to lose it. (laughs) So much Mendelssohn. I wanted to add on the reinforcement side, something that I learned a lot, especially when I started teaching marching band was just the power of giving a quick positive shout out to kids and how, as soon as you say, I love how tall you're sitting up, the whole room sits up. And you don't have to say, sit up, talk. like you don't have to, Colin was talking about this, like chasing the kid that needs the reminder. But if you just tell the kid who's doing it right, they're doing a great job. The rest of the kids are like, I must have not been doing a great enough job because I didn't get shouted out. And, and the kids at all levels vibe on that. That's not like a, an elementary thing. I think that happens, honestly, as a teacher now, as an adult who wants to like overachieve and do the right thing. Like if somebody around me gets a compliment, I'm like, I'm going to make a note of that and try and follow it. And then the other thing that I wanted to share was something that my colleague, John Grantham at Amador did at the very beginning of school with a freshman is he would have a day where he would do disaster band student and model band student, and he would walk out of the room and he would walk in the room and he would be disaster band student and do all of the things wrong and chat and be super loud and not look at the agenda and not look at the lesson plan and go into the locker room and start just ripping on on their horn and then coming in with none of their materials. And it's kind of silly and the kids really got into that. But once they saw like, this looks silly and ridiculous. And then he does the model band student who does all the things right. And, you know, those tools, I think sometimes as as a teacher who's teaching at the secondary level, it feels like the kids aren't going to get into that because it feels too young for them. I've just never found that to be true. I think if you commit to it, they usually do too. And it's it's fun and exciting for them. And then when somebody comes in and they kind of are like having a disaster band student day, the kids can kind of in a fun way, like, oh, you're the disaster band kid. So I love that. I think that's really powerful.
2: Anything you commit to that's different it can be so fun. We do a... a- Day of silence in March in our schools for, or in our middle school for like support of the LBGTQ community. And, you know, I, I do feel bad for the chorus teacher, but for me, it's like sometimes the best day that I teach, right? We just, I'm, you run a silent rehearsal every once in a while. No one's talking. You're not talking. You're miming, you're writing, you're cueing, and it's the best rehearsal you can have. So anytime you can do something different, they buy into it.
0: Totally. Anything else from you, Pat? Thoughts? Nothing else from me. Colleen, do you have anything else you want to add or share?
2: I don't think so. I mean, I I think, you know, you've covered a lot of really good points. And I think, you know, hopefully some people are inspired. I don't know. You you brought me out of my summer of ignorance. (laughs) It's really been a summer where I've stepped away so much. So it does feel good. It reminds me that I do love what I do and... With teach with teacher burnout being a thing that is so very real right now, I am I am glad that we have chosen the careers we have chosen because I think they are unique and um, you just gotta be
0: true to yourself. Totally, I am just so grateful that you took the time to talk with us. It's just so fun to be able to sit here and just chat with you. I've, I'm reminiscing on many, 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 many prep periods sitting in the office together, <laughs> hanging out and chatting. I have no doubt that so much of what you shared today is just gonna start to fire some thoughts for people to consider for their own classes as they start their years.
1: Awesome. So grateful Colleen for your time and thank you for sharing your expertise with us. Thank you.
0: Well, that was a wonderful conversation with a good friend and I am feeling very inspired as I'm thinking about how I wanna set up the beginnings of my classes.
1: I loved hearing from Colleen and her energy was like palpable through the internet. It was great to hear how excited she is about the procedures that she's been able to set up and how easy it makes some parts of the classroom that it could be really challenging. I'm really inspired for the
0: start of the year. Same. I miss teaching with her. I'm just so happy we got the chat. We're going to share our last segment, which is our episode goals. Typically, we share a goal every single episode, and then we get to check in on that goal from a past episode. But because this is the first episode of our season, we're just going to set a new goal. I have many, many goals in the next week as we get ready for the start of the school year. But one thing that I want to start the school year feeling really solid about is just repertoire selection. I always feel like I begin the year with like a rough picture that's kind of fuzzy and that probably will be true to some degree this year, but I often will have one or two more holes than I'd like, particularly for the ensembles that are gonna be playing in October in the fall concert. And I'd really like to hit the ground running with some pretty solid stuff with the kids. And obviously once we get into the work, if we need to revise that, we'll do it. But hoping to get my rep a little more solid so that the kids have music to play as soon as they show up. How about you, Tiffany?
1: Yeah, it happens really fast. Um, You know what, similarly, I had all these grand plans for my repertoire, got some ideas, not fully there yet. So I'm gonna work on that for sure this week. I I like to map out the whole year as much as possible and then uh, feel like I can move from there. Mm -hmm. But I think my, my underarching goal, other than, you know, the never ending to-do list at the beginning of the year is just to sort of try to enjoy the processes a little bit more processes, um, to try to feel like I'm not just like getting it done. Right. It's easy to like, I have a spreadsheet that has all my rep and I need to fill these boxes for these performances. And I, of course I'm going to be thoughtful and intentional about it, but I want to try to enjoy that process a little bit more. I think it can, um, start to sometimes feel a little bit like I'm just doing it to do it. And I'd like to just, you know, Feel like this process is, is the job. It's not just getting it done and having the performance. So just being more mindful about the whole process, I think is kind of what I mean.
0: Yeah, that's that is definitely the large bulk of what we're doing. For sure. We are so excited to be back with you as we get ready to start off our school year and our second season. Thank you so much for listening today. On our next episode, we are going to have a discussion about how we talk about practice with our kids. Um, We heard some of that today in our conversation with Colleen, but that looks different in many, many ways. I know for me, I have some thoughts uh, even just getting into that conversation about how I want to rethink my own school and are excited to get into that next time. If you want to reach out to us with questions, comments, feedback, or ideas, shoot us an email at bandmeetstrings at gmail.com. And of course, follow us on Facebook or Instagram at bandmeetstrings. Please subscribe on whatever platform you use to play podcasts and consider spreading the word to anyone you think might be interested. We're hoping to spread this network of shared learning as wide as we can in the string education community. For those of you that are about to start your school years, wishing you the best of luck and hoping that you enjoy these last days of summer. And to those of you that still have some time in front of you, enjoy it before you get back. Take care. We'll see you next time.
1: See ya. Bye-bye.